the secretary. She held the cup. Her hand was cold. The cup was warm. She sat in a waiting area of a 1990s style palm reading shop. She thought it was bullshit, but a part of her knew it was real. A voice from behind the curtain called for her. Next! She rose from the velvet seat and walked towards the beaded lair. She held her cup tightly. A woman sat behind the table with a turban. She was much younger than those we see in the movies. She said, Call me madam. The woman nodded. The woman put her cup on the table and asked madam about her husband. Madam shuffled some tarot cards and sat for a minute. Madam's red lips glistened in the flickering candles. You are in a good relationship, but you are concerned about his wandering eye. The woman nodded. Madam continued. I say this with much regret. He has been with someone besides you. It seems she is a secretary. I see her sitting, reading papers in front of him. He is smiling. He is handing her beautiful earrings. The woman from the other side of the table starts to cry. Madam continues reluctantly. You are a doctor? No, no, wait. A scientist. I see you surrounded by smoke. I can feel the chemicals in my throat. <clears throat> They're strong. The woman nods. It is hard for me to say this, says Madam, but you are planning to do something very bad. The woman nods. I see you throwing a weapon. Not a typical weapon, something not normally used to kill someone, something, something lethal. I also see that you will not be caught by the authorities. You will then take some luggage and some money and put it in your car. I see the airport ahead of you. Then you will be learning a foreign language. You will travel far away. The woman smiles. I see a man who looks like him. He looks like the man you are with now. Uncanny how we all have a type, right? These men could be twins, but, but they are not. He will be there waiting for you at a bar, I see. He will have a martini waiting, as if he knows what you like to drink. The woman smiles more. The woman stands. Madam is startled. The woman picks up her cup and throws the contents at Madam. It is a lethal acid from her lab. Madam covers her face. The chemical starts burning her eyes. The woman grabs the crystal ball from the table and repeatedly smashes it over Madam's head. 
Madame's head is gushing blood all over the table and the chair. Madame falls to the floor. Her body hits the lush red carpet with a loud thump. Her body is now in a puddle of blood. The woman takes the cup and the crystal ball. She walks out the back door of an alleyway. She throws the crystal ball into a cold metal dumpster. It crashes into pieces. She then throws in the cup. It too crashes into pieces. She walks towards a car waiting for her in the alley. A man is sitting in the driver's seat. It is the man Madame spoke of. The car has suitcases in the back seat and the woman's passport is on the dashboard. He signals for her to get in. The woman gets into the car. She slams her door. She turns to the man. You were right. She was a great psychic. She just wasn't that good. She saw herself as the secretary in my vision. She had no idea who I was. I think you chose the right woman. He starts to drive towards the airport. What did you say? Say it again? Later this week with Coco and Friend. That was my bite. I needed that. <laughs> but I made it sound like a question. Later this week with Coco and Fran? Later this week with Coco and Fran. With Coco and Fran. Vibe à l'ancienne, un truc qui fasse que tout le monde y vienne. Suivant le fond du vent comme les éoliennes à l'ancienne. Comme à l'époque des parties dans les blocs, on coule air que bombata. Donner la vie où il faut les valeurs de base. Hello! Is it me you're looking for? We were always saying that when somebody starts out with that song and goes, hello, you always know what age you are whenever you go into either Lionel Richie or Adele. Yes. There's only two ways it can go. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> hello from the outside. I can't believe that I actually did karaoke at your place and attempted to sing that song. Why not? Me attempting to sing Adele. Listen, the only time you do anything crazy is when you've been assaulted in your eye by a ton of gentlemen. Well, that's true. Because after that, anything is, you know. Please, you can't see. <laughs> that's true. How do you do karaoke when you can't see? You will go into Lionel Richie and then you'll be like, wait, this is Adele. <laughs> Adele looked good. I saw her on SNL this weekend. I have not seen the episode, although I have read quite a bit about one skit in particular. Which one? <laughs> um, about the three blonde middle-aged ladies traveling. Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody. Uh, although a week later is way past the statute of limitations when it comes to, you know. Right. You- online but anyway it was it was quite the uh it was quite the the skit uh i haven't actually seen it like i said i just read about it um but i mean it, it my my thing is everyone knows 
SNL and how they push boundaries and how they, it's, it's not about, um, well, they are making fun of stereotypes, but it's also making fun in the sense that these stereotypes are ridiculous. And why are people still believing in these things? Like, why do people still, I know I'm being vague to our listeners right now. So you're just going to have to go and watch SNL. But yeah. For the parts of the world that get it. Exactly. SNL is Saturday Night Live. For those of you who are listening and saying, what is SNL? And suddenly they've gone online and they've been dragged through a pharmaceutical website. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, SNL. SNL is for limp penises. <laughs> it helps with diarrhea. Mmm, delicious. Snill. Did you take your snill? So what's been going on? I, you know, I, there's so much, I feel like there's so much to talk about, about the show. Like, I feel like when we start the show, we, we have our sheet, we do what we need to do, but there's so much we need to talk about. Like I've been listening to the shows cause I listen to our shows. Yeah, I do. And there's so much funny shit. There is, there is. And, and, um, last week's episode, even though it was not called the girthy episode, it truly is our girthiest. <laughs> yeah. At over two hours. And I was always afraid that, you know, when I was editing that episode, my biggest concern was, oh my God, are people going to look at this and be like, how am I going to get through this? Is this mm. too long? Is this going to be boring? Are we going to be able to keep people's attention? So on and so forth. And, um, while I was listening to it, and if 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 our listeners haven't had a chance, um, that particular episode, last week's episode, was recorded over the course of two days, so it, it may sound a little disjointed in a in a spot or two, but you know that just still goes along the line of our bootleg. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, you know, it also like I think you get concerned, and I've said this to you before. You get concerned when you see the time fluctuate. But like I said to you, a lot of my podcasts that I listen to will fluctuate between 45 minutes, 48 minutes, two hours and 20 minutes. Like everything fluctuates based on what the subject matter is. And certainly in most cases where there is a guest. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and also to shed light on your thoughts of the technicals involving the show. I was just listening to a podcast that I, I normally listen to. And there are moments where you think that they're using $100,000 microphones because they're like, yes, and everything is so clear. And it's like, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we lost our guest. Okay. We're going to continue. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I, I know that uh, we bring a unique style when it comes to podcasts we do and so far the feedback that i've been receiving has been positive and it makes me happy and uh you know i'm not gonna stop as long as you want to continue doing this i want to continue doing this as well i got nothing else going on right <laughs> i mean really i you know what when my show is on netflix i'm still gonna be doing the show <laughs> Absolutely, because that's you're going to be our celebrity source. <laughs> Please, I'm going to be like, all right. And today we're going to talk to the guy who played 
Ralph Macchio's brother in The Karate Kid. Oh, Jesus. But he, but he was cut out of the movie, so you never really saw him. <laughs> Some, someone that I know suggested um, interviewing a particular singer, and I said, yeah, absolutely. And I said, I'm just going to have Frank reach out to every celebrity possible and we'll see who who bites because really that's how you get it you just yeah. sit all out <laughs> well it's also who you know like if you know someone who's related to someone famous or you know someone who represents someone famous yeah you know because i know someone in california who's really good friends with jen who is an agent in California and he represents well-known people. Like, I don't know necessarily what the grade of famous, like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, Q, X, but I don't know how famous they are, but I know that there are some famous people and a 15 minute call to our show. Why not? I think you would shit your pants because you get scared around people like that, like famous people. Don't get scared, no. Because then you're like, I don't know what to talk about. Well, okay, if it's an if it's a celebrity that I'm not familiar with, for example, what the fuck am I going to ask them? I have a question for you. Are you Letterman or are you Oprah? Because Letterman would have people on his show and not know who they were. I mean, he would literally walk over to the guy on the drums and think he was the lead. That's how much he would know about R.E.M., but then you have Oprah, Oprah, who's gone home and she's listened to the album 17 times and Googled everything that she could possibly Google. That's what you do. You have a guest on the show. It's not always somebody you're going to know. Like you could have some of those people you listen to, those metal guys who like eat the brains of bats or whatever they do. What are we in 1974? <laughs> what, what metal shows and, and music have you been listening to that's still the you- you like that stuff that sounds like this. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get your ass. <laughs> but going back to Oprah. <laughs> you know what my favorite thing about Oprah is that, yes, she may Love immerse it. herself in, her. in the guests, absorbing knowledge about whomever she's interviewing. But if she has a musician on, Always. And they perform. And yes. the cameraman, you know, scans to her. And she does not know a goddamn lyric. You're right. But what I, what I will say about Mama Oprah is that she shows enthusiasm. Yes. Yes, she does. And if you go on her show and she knows you're going on, she will read that fucking book. And don't let any TV radio host say they don't have time. You have one job. Yeah. For $60 million, you have one job. If it takes you all weekend to read and listen to CDs, oh, pobrecito, I feel so bad that you have to do all that work. <laughs> oh, for $60 million, you have to read three books and listen to two CDs. Mm, poor thing. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I mean, seriously. So that's what I'm saying to you. Are you Letterman or are you Oprah? Like, we have a guest on that you don't know. You're a smart woman. You'll get the information. So you're saying I'm Oprah or I'm Letterman? I don't know. We, we will know when we have a big guest on. Mm. And when I mean a big guest, I mean 
big guest. You're gross. <laughs> so I want to go back to your medal. Laura, you know cooking with Laura? Yes. There's a couple times I've been in her car. You never want to get in the car with Laura. I mean, because this is going to be a tie-in to horror shows. You never want to get in the car with Laura. Okay. Is it messy? Fuck. All over the road, screaming at people, yelling, banging on the steering wheel. No, I mean her actual car inside. Is it messy? It used to be. Okay. But now she won't even park in my driveway in the fear of scraping the sides of her her tires. Yes. Scraping... Scraping the sides of her tires on what? Grass? Because my driveway is not a typical wide driveway. It fits your car perfectly, but it's not like she drives a Hummer. No, but there's nothing on the side of your driveway that would cause scrapage. Right. Right. I don't have answers for you. I'm just telling you what I'm told. (laughs) But she'll get in her car, and not only is she driving like a blind woman who's been punched in her neck, but she also, but she also goes, I want you to hear this song. It's such a beautiful song. And I'm thinking she's going to put on like, you know, Carol King, right? Yeah. All of a sudden she puts on, she goes, Okay. I like metal. I love metal. I don't like um, Screamo. I don't like the <laughs> the growly death metal. Yeah. Like there's there's certain genres of metal I'm just not into. However, I have I would I've heard a song or two from those particular genres that I'm like, okay, I'll jam to that. But it's not a it's not a genre that I typically go to. Um, when I hear that music, I turn into like a 75 year old white man from Idaho because I hear it and I go you know you let old white people listen to rap music and they're like it all sounds the same that's what I think when I hear death metal I'm like you could literally edit this all together and I wouldn't know when the song starts and when it ends some of it yes I I will I will some of it the only death metal I like is Evanescence. Really? You're yeah. Gonna, you're going to put them in death metal? My favorite Evanescence story is when it was the final episode of Friends. And if all of you are listening, please look this up. Google it. The final episode of Friends preview or trailer that was on. And they were like... The final episode of Friends, the two-hour special, and Evanescence comes in. And you're like, stop. What song is that? You know that stupid one, the one that was their famous one. We wipe away all your tears. You don't know much Evanescence. That's it. That's the song. I think we just lost like half of our listeners from that. We lost half of the listeners because you don't know what song that is. Not the way you're singing it. 
play it. It's exactly the way I'm singing it. Go put on a tape. Go ahead. Find it. Come tape? on. Play it. You have it on tape. Come on. I'm not gonna. You have the single, the cassette single. Just play it. My tape recorder is put away. I want that in my background next time. When you go, when we go into editing, I need that in my background. <laughs> we'll think about it. What are well, you drinking? I'm drinking tea. Oh, it looks weird in the screen. <laughs> it's my... You were bringing something to your lips and I wasn't sure. My skull mug. Here, we'll hmm. take it out so people can see. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. Um... Yeah, so w- this is our last Halloween episode, or our last October. Yes, and it's right before Halloween, the night before. Um, so if you're listening right now, you probably heard one of our stories already. Fran and I have decided to read to you some lullabies so that you could fall asleep to. Um, just some, you know freaky scary spooky stories and uh yeah so i and if you want to know what those stories are we're not going to text you nope we're not going to tell you we want you guys to leave us some messages because you know it's been a long time we know people are listening to this show all over the world Mm -hmm. leave a message yeah so, and listen, I'm going to own it. I'm going to own it right now for both of us. Do it. We say you know a lot. What do you mean? When we're talking. You know? You oh, know? Yes, we do. I, now, it was something that someone had mentioned to me once before. Um and I remember mentioning it to you and you're like, oh, we're not going to edit the way we talk, blah, blah, blah. This is the way we talk. Uh, because we're not like 60 minutes. It's just, this is how we converse. But the other day, while I was editing our super girthy episode, you and I said, you know, so many times. Mm-hmm. And when you start fixating on that you hear it like Mm -hmm. every other other word i can't speak for you but i don't apologize for it and why because i listen to enough podcasts to tell you people do not speak like this the whole time and i'd like to speak to you about something and this is what we're talking about the story begins here in our family and most shows aren't like that no and i get it and that's why i i'm not gonna worry too much about it if we say you know or listen or whatever that's how you and i talk right that's how we talk on the phone if our entire sentence is you know and listen (laughs) no other word no other adjective we can have a full conversation going back and forth you know and you're lucky and you're lucky we're doing this show in English because I originally wanted to do the entire thing in French. I thought you wanted to do it in Portuguese. Oh, abrigado. Hey, <laughs> hey. What, what is, wait, hold on. What is Maya's husband's name? I got to give him a shout out. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Abrigado. Alô, Portugal. <laughs> I like that we've mentioned Maya and Emmanuel or a combination of the two 
for the past, I don't know, how many episodes? <laughs> well, listen, you know, they're they're worth mentioning. Yes, they are. And and also, I find that Maya is very interactive with our show on many levels. She is. She's very invested in success of our show. Um, I we we talked. I talked to her about us, you know, discussing the possibility of of getting some merch for our podcast, mm. like T-shirts and and whatnot. And she started sending me. Um, companies that she's worked with in the past um as a photographer uh and and i think she's purchased um product through them as well um but places in canada that that you know make t-shirts and 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 other kind of merch stuff and because uh, she she said it flat out she's like i want a t-shirt <laughs> so She's, you know, I think it's awesome. I, she's, she's such a super fan. And um, I love when a new episode comes out because I know she's going to be all over it. And, <laughs> and, yeah. and I love the feedback. And uh, one of the things, and this is something that you, you keep, you know, kind of pushing our, our listeners to, to, to do. And that's if you, if you have, that feedback because I get texts from you know my sisters or friends or just conversations send it to us like for real send it to us on Instagram an email voice message whatever like I know we've been pushing that but it's it helps us to refer back to it Mm -hmm. but even if you don't we will still mention it on on the air and we'll call you out too (laughs) So, so what was what was the latest bit of feedback? Um, what do you have? You have a text message, don't you? Yeah, my sister she had mentioned how um, it was in in particular your your audio, your voice. It kept mm. sounding like it was going in and out, and um, she mentioned something about making sure Fran stays close to his phone, and I and I mentioned to her that. He does. The only time that you see his face really move away from the phone is when he's laughing hysterically. Um, but, 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 honestly- but also one of the biggest things is, is I think one of the things I do consciously is when you're talking, I back away because there's this app that we use. It's miraculous. It's called Anchor. And what happens is when one of us is talking, if the other one starts talking, it sounds like an Israeli telephone. Like suddenly I'm a and yes, I mean every, I think everyone knows about the audio challenges that we have. So I'm not going to. I appreciate that feedback, and we are aware of that. But it's yeah. it, it is what it is. We can't really do much about it until we get our own studio. With high-tech equipment. But we also need to let your sister in on a secret that sometimes when she hears me back away from the mic, I'm like blowing one of the producers because it's the only way we can pay them. Well, that's true. That's true. And I'm just like... <laughs> and that's the Israeli telephone once again. That's fucking disgusting. <laughs> Listen, sometimes you got a little throat coat. Throat coat. Oh, going back to... Speaking of throat coat... Uh-oh. I was having a conversation with Maya and she was telling me that she, she had been sick recently or, or something. And 
she, you know, she had a cough. It wasn't COVID, but she mentioned lung butter and I mm. lost it. I'm like, that is my new favorite term when it comes to referring to like phlegm, whatever, lung butter. Isn't that, that great? That's not what I would have thought that was. Well, that's what it is. <laughs> I thought it was a little salty, creamy chicken soup. <laughs> I also want I also want to say, you know, we if we're being honest with Maya, Maya, I jack up your name so badly in these text messages. Oh, Maya. <laughs> Maya, you have like more letters than you even realize in your name. He adds like letters and cons like consonants and vowels that don't even belong in your name, and one like they honestly look like some Inca princesses. <laughs> it's that that there's that jacked up, and there's usually umlauts in there. Very a lot of umlauts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh Maya, thank you so much, Maya, and everybody. Listen, if you're listening, um, I know this is premature and it's a spoiler alert, but. We're going to be doing a big closing to season one. We're not even going to tell you when it is. It's going to be huge. Big. Big. Girthy. <laughs> lick it, lick it, lick it. Oh, oh my God. Sacagawea. <laughs> You know what I do love, though? <clears throat> and I said this before. I love when you all, because we're going to go to commercial in a minute. And when we go to commercial, please make a note that just so people know what I'm talking about, one of my favorite promos is Linda's. Yes. That's my favorite of all it, time. It's funny because when she recorded it, um, she sent me a version and I'm like, that's great. I love it. Can you do it a little bit different this time? Of course, I was very nitpicky. <laughs> and uh, she recorded it again, and it was perfect. And I put a little music. I don't even know which music I put. That I, put was, I love it because it's so, like, when it comes on, I'm just so, like, Linda, you're going to have to do our, our, our new theme song. I have a whole idea, so you're going to do it. Our All opening. Right. I'm I'm sure she'll squeeze squeeze us in at some point. Please, it's ten minutes of her time. <laughs> you know. Uh, so why don't we go for a commercial break, mm -hmm. and when we come back, just for a short little moment, I have a pet peeve. Uh oh. All right. Yeah. We'll be right back. You're listening to Later This Week with Coco and Fran. Okay, we're back. Good Lord. <laughs> what? So, what's in that tea of yours? Just tea. <laughs> it's Earl Grey. Okay. So, you're going into a pet peeve, but we need to go into our, our intro. So, guys, you know what time it is gonna hear things you don't believe because it's time it's time for coco's pet peeve 
All right, let's hear it. Okay, so I was doing a lot of driving recently. This is surprisingly not a retail pet peeve. (laughs) Because I feel like my entire life is retail related. Anyway, I was driving. And I'm going to um, say this right now. That if you are one of these types of drivers, if you're listening to this podcast, stop listening to this podcast. Because I don't want you as a listener. Because if you drive this way, you shouldn't be listening to our podcast. This is how strongly I feel about this particular pet peeve. When you're on a highway and someone stays on the left lane and they don't move over, they don't realize that the left lane is a passing lane. This bothers me to no end. And there was a, just a a caveat to that. We have this kind of like, it's a, it it is a law that if there is a, um, an emergency vehicle stopped on the side of the road with its lights on, um, you need to get out of that lane that they're in, move over into the left lane, you know, to, so that it's a safe, you're, you're safe distance from them. Now for me, I move over regardless of who is stopped on the lane because like if you're if you end up pulling over into the shoulder for whatever reason you need to go to the bathroom you need to take something out of your trunk you you a tire blew out it's you want to feel that there aren't cars zipping right next to you so you move over there was a there was a car it was like a construction vehicle or something that was it had its lights on it was parked on the side and i was getting ready to move over when this motherfucker he's he looked like he was at pace to pass me but as soon as he got on my side he maintained speed so there was no way for me to be able to move over so i ended up having to accelerate to be able to get in front of him so I can avoid zipping past that, that car that was on, on the shoulder. Like I'm, I consider myself a, an offensive driver. I am not a defensive driver. Um, so I, I anticipate things that are happening, you know, a few moves ahead of me. Um, and this person, like this person didn't even think okay, well, I may need to move over, so let's give this person some space, either speed up or slow down so that I can move into the lane. No, he stayed on my flank and basically cock-blocked me. These are the type of drivers that I don't like. That's my pet peeve. And if you're one of those drivers, stop listening to my podcast. Wow. So what I learned from your story is he stayed on your flank and you, he was trying to cock block you. Yes. That's what I got. Yeah. yeah. And I also got that you're an offensive driver and I'm an offensive driver. Because I'm like, fuck you. Look at my dick. <laughs> Do you whip it out when you, uh, you drive? They won't see it. No. <laughs> if I took it out, they'd be, like, they'd be like, why is that guy taking out an eraser from a pencil? Oh my God. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute, is that a Sharpie cap? What is that? <laughs> you need to blow that up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's erect. No, wait, it is. 
That's sad. <laughs> so those are the horrors of living with Coco. Yes, yes. I'm, you know, I there's going to be a couple of people listening who think that I'm a rageaholic and I really truly am not. Uh, but I react to stupidity. You know, if I see someone that's doing something that's going to affect other drivers, of course I'm going to be bothered by it. But for the most part, I'm a very chill person. I truly am. Mm. But yeah, things like that piss me off. I mean, that'll be another episode. How chill are you? I'm very chill. She's very chill. I am. As she drinks her tea. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so we are still in October. We are still dealing with the unexplained, the unknown, the scary. <laughs> yes. So we've had a lot of stories come in. We've had a lot of contributions. It's been really great. We've had a we've had a really busy month. I mean, you know, we started the show at some point in June. And now it is October 2020. And within all the craziness and madness that's going on in the world, we continue to do this show. And October was really like, when I think back on the episodes that we have done, October, if I had to recommend to someone who hasn't listened to the show, and they'd say, where should I start? In my Mm -hmm. own opinion. Yeah. I would say start in October. Really? And then go back. Well, we've had this transition. There's been so many. I just know from our perspective, you know, how much work have we put in for October? Yeah. yeah. It has. And we talked about just, you know, our expectations versus the reality of it all. And, but regardless of whether or not, it it came out exactly the way in it, it we had envisioned it there we there was a lot involved and we we did a lot and we had people quote unquote working for us as well and there was contributors like there was a lot going on in this month and it was while it was you know crazy at times it truly was enjoyable and we we had a lot of really good content and and I, I, I would agree. Yeah, there's it, October was a good month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a lot of contributions and work, pre-production, post-production. <clears throat> it's a lot. And we have uh, November, we'll be trying out some new segments. I think we're going to be visited by some ghosts from Christmas past. We're going to come back to our show. <laughs> um, but I actually wanted to share a story because we're still in October. And one of the things, one of the phenomena that I'm truly obsessed with, and you and I discussed this throughout our friendship, I have mentioned this on and off. Uh, What I'm obsessed with is parallel universes. Mm. Um, The quantum leap type of stuff. Okay. So one of the stories that I don't know if you're familiar with, maybe some of our listeners are, listeners are familiar with. It's a story I've heard several times and I just came across it recently and thought this would be a great contribution for the show because it'll be something that listeners would love to hear, but also we can discuss. 
So the story is called The Man from Torrid. Torrid, T-A-U-R-E-D. Are you familiar with the story? T-A-U-R-E-D? Yep. No. Okay. So bear with me. As the story goes, it was a busy day in July of 1954. Tens of thousands of passengers were streaming through Tokyo Airport. A well-dressed man enters the customs line and waits his turn to speak to the customs officer. When he hands him his passport, the officer looks at it, and it was something he had never seen before. When he opened the passport, he was even more shocked to find out that it was issued by a country that didn't exist called Torrid. T-A-U-R-E-D. The man who is described as Caucasian, not sure why they tell you that in the story, but I'm just reading what's in front of me. Yeah. Claimed that he had traveled to Tokyo multiple times before. He was speaking French, but he was also able to speak Japanese and many other languages. When given a map, the man pointed to a country of Andorra, situated on the border of France and Spain, but was puzzled why Torrid had a different name on the map. Since, his, since that was his native land um, and it had been in existence for a thousand years. With a suspicion that the man might be a criminal of some kind, the customs officer took him in for further questioning and performed a search on his belongings. When they did both, they found multiple different currencies and the man told him the company he worked for and the hotel he was planning to stay at. When they investigated further, they found that his company did exist in Tokyo, but not in Torrid, and that the hotel he mentioned existed, but there was no such booking for this man. They also noticed that his passport had been stamped several times, as he had claimed, coming through the Japanese airport. Obviously perplexed and worried, the customs office sequestered him into a hotel room with two armed guards blocking the only entrance and exit as they sorted out this entire mess. When the customs officer went to go visit the man the next morning, he and all of his belongings had vanished into thin air. There was no way of him getting out of this room, and he had been watched by these armed guards. So what are the theories here? One is that he actually was from the country named Torrid, but in some perfect storm, he had accidentally slipped through a parallel dimension and wound up in the airport in 1954. Another theory was that he was a time traveler and Torrid was a country established far in the future. Other people have said that this story is just a complete internal hoax. Some would also say the man was mentally ill. What do you think? Well, since time travel, as far as I know, does not exist... I would have to put it on the mentally ill part. Okay. But he did have a passport that was from this country. Okay. I mean, we all know that people can make fake anything. Sure. You know, bogus license uh driver's license bogus passports and what's to say that they can't just come up with some random 
name. Sure. You know, remember when I was talking about that whole theory of Occam's razor? Mm-hmm. What is the simplest explanation? Well, that's also because you're a skeptic. Well, I am skeptical, yes. But I'm I'm not completely... I don't completely shun the possibility of something otherworldly or supernatural or, or, or something else unexplained. Um, but, but this, but this particular story, I don't, I don't see how we can be anything other than like a case of some person who is either just trying to play a trick. Well, what do you think? Well, I take your mentally insane, but I raise you that he was in a hotel room and disappeared and all of his belongings disappeared. Maybe he might have fell back into his kind of time warp that he fell into. Maybe everybody else around him was mentally ill. Yeah. And they imagined him. Maybe he was reading Torrid wrong and it really was Beirut. You know, I wrote down that word when you spelled it out, and I was trying to figure out, is there an anagram for it? Or was it backwards? And no, it doesn't make any sense. No, but <laughs> but they apparently, the story goes that he had an actual passport, and the story has been told many different ways online, but it's the same story, just more details. And some of the stories online say that the passport was actually real. They actually talked to the custom agent back in the 60s about it. And they said that it was an actual passport that was valid, had been stamped by the airport many times. They had valid stamps on it. Um, the reality is it was 1954. There's no footage. There's no you know, juste That's French for stuff. There's no stuff. Sure, sure. So, no Celine Dion. There was none of that. No, none of, no, no, no Putin. None of that. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting story because you and I were talking the other day too about the Mandela effect. And the Mandela effect was something that we discussed and I certainly would suggest if you don't know what the Mandela effect is, we're not here to give you all the information while you listen to this on your phone and you're laying in bed as I do with podcasts, go ahead and go to Wikipedia, check it out. Yeah. So the Mandela effect basically is this theory of people remembering there's a sector of people that remember something being a certain way. And when people share those ideas, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, that thing. And then suddenly you find out that thing never happened. Um, And one of the things that I brought up was the um, Sinbad movie, Shazam, that he played Mm -hmm. a genie. And I know several people in my generation who remember that movie or remember seeing commercials for it. And it just never existed. That's very bizarre. Or the Bernstein Bears, which everyone remembers the spelling of it. And I remember the spelling of it. And I remember recently someone discussing um, the Mandela effect. This was going back years ago. And they mentioned Bernstein. And I was like, what? No. And I went online to Google the books on Amazon. And meanwhile, they weren't spelled the way I remembered. Yeah. 
it 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 is it it does play it's a whole mind fuck it really is yeah because when i i remember reading about that whole berenstein berenstein bears thing i was just like how do how do a large portion of society collectively remember something one way and it was completely wrong you know but it's all but it's also kind of like you know when the first um person described to whomever what an alien looked like Mm -hmm. right so there was this general kind of like there was this image and i'm sure this image circulated throughout the world of what an alien looked like so now every subsequent quote-unquote encounter with an alien everyone had this variation of what the alien looked like now are they truly have they truly encountered an alien or are they just saying it and then regurgitating the same kind of description that has been floating around? Mm-hmm. You know? Well, with that being said, you should watch one of the shows I sent you through text, which is the Berkshire's UFO on Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. Yes. Highly recommend it. I need to watch it. All of those. I mean, I just want us to watch it and then talk about it. Don't be afraid. We're not going to do a whole episode about it. Stop. I know the people listening. Stop it. We're not (laughs) doing a whole episode. Just I want to discuss those episodes. And if you haven't seen it, that's your fault. It's out there. You can watch it for free. All right. I will will watch it and we will talk about it in the next episode. So anyway, so just to give a little bit. Um, in 19, uh, 1910, yes, 1910. In 2010, this false memory phenomenon was dubbed the Mandela effect by self-described paranormal consultant Fiona Broom in reference to her false memory of the death of South African Nelson Mandela in prison in 1980s. He actually didn't die until 2013 after having served president of South Africa, which she claimed was shared by perhaps thousands of other people. Scientists suggest that these examples of false memories shaped by similar cognitive factors affecting multiple people and families, such as social cognitive reinforcement of incorrect memories or false news reports, misleading photographs, and influence the formation of memories based on them. For example, the false memories of Shazam have been explained as memories of the comedian Sinbad um, dressed as a, a, a genie. In 1994, it's a similar named movie called Kazam featuring Shaquille O'Neal. So a lot of people remember this. Um, So it's interesting when you really go into it because there's other things like there was a bombing in Italy that happened years ago and people remembered the clock stopping and everyone thought that the clock had stopped and everyone had this memory of a clock stopping on the news and that like never happened. And people share these same events. And to your point, like maybe it's one people, one person says it, but like, as far as I'm concerned, just from speaking from a personal experience, I remember there being a real movie with Sinbad where he played a genie. Yeah. But it's not real. No. 
but I remember it. I remember seeing either a commercial for it or I couldn't say as far as seeing like saying like I I've seen it. I remember reading articles online when I was going through this whole thing. And there was a guy online who swore he saw the movie with his sister. Like he literally could tell you what the movie was about. But are you really remembering that or just remembering what people have? Who me personally? Yeah. No, I remember seeing commercials for it. Like, you know how sick my memory is. Like, let me give you an idea. Just recently, and I know you may not remember this because you didn't watch TV as much as I I did because I was a loser. But (laughs) I mean, you were out like licking nuts and I was eating them in front of the TV. Wow. Sorry, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> so they were onions for your information. There was this commercial back in the 90s and it was for VH1 and it was for like a holiday. It was like holiday on VH1 and there was these enormous snow globes in the commercial. And as they got closer, there were these people inside the snow globes and the snow was falling and they were wearing these rubber wigs and I'll never forget the commercial it was so avant-garde and weird and I'm like who even spends time making this type of commercial and my friend and I from high school used to watch this commercial and laugh okay Mm -hmm. fast forward to about five years ago I'm talking to my friend Barbara who's been on Broadway she's been an actress for years and I'm talking to her And I said to her, we were talking about becoming SAG Screen Actors Guild members, right? Because we both are members. And I said, how did you get your card? And she said, oh, it's it's so weird. She's like, it's so weird. Years ago in the 90s, I was called in to do the stupid commercial for VH1 where I played this woman in the snow globe. And I'm like, you were that woman? And she goes, you remember that commercial? I said, I swear, if I could find that commercial online, I should have Chris look for it. He will find it. I, I want him to, if he can. Like, it is a weird, wacky VH1 commercial, and they're just in a snow globe, and it's snowing, and they have, like, these rubber wigs on, and Barbara is the woman in the commercial, and I'm like, how weird is that? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get him on that. That's the Mandela effect right there. That's creepy. Yeah. I'm glad we have Chris on our team, because we can find anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah, he's, um... His methods are questionable, <laughs> but listen, he can anything. Listen, I'm Italian. We don't ask questions. As long as you yeah. can, as long as you can deliver the goods, we don't care how you got it. Exactly. You know, we're like, oh, this pasta is contraband. It's fine. It's all good. It tastes delicious. <laughs> so that was my um, quantum physics lesson for the day. I like it. And I just think it's an interesting topic. And I think people out there think about it. Um, I watch, I used to love this show. It got canceled after two seasons, but it was called the OA. And for those of you who have seen it, it dealt with a lot of that. You don't know what's real, what's possible, who's real, who's there, who's not there. And if you talk to a lot of psychics and spiritualists and people like that they say time is consecutive so everything that we know to be history is happening right now 
Yeah. It's interesting. I believe that. You know, so everything we know is happening right at this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a movie in the 90s called Sliding Doors. With, yeah. With Gwyneth Paltrow. Did you see that movie? I did. Um, Jen I, a, okay. I was going to say, in a couple of um, sitcoms or TV shows that have done a variation of that, mm-hmm. where it's um, if if a different choice was made in the other, you know, mm-hmm. where, where does that take you? What path does it take you? And it's, and it's interesting. Um, I, like, I like that, that concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you can't help but think at this moment, some people believe what is meant to be is meant to be like you and I, if we rewind to 20 some odd years ago at that, skanky garage sale that we met at the yard sale like imagine if that night your mother was like no habibi go get me falafel and then you went somewhere else and then habibi didn't go to the garage sale and then and then i never uh, would have never met you right right but there's a theory that habibi would have met me later somewhere else like we would have met somewhere else you think i don't know i'm just there's a theory. I don't know. But I'm saying if you had gone to Patterson to go get falafel, <laughs> you know, and huh. I mean, this is purely hypothetical because we all know your mother's making everything from scratch. Let's let's stop playing around here. Exactly. You know, <laughs> God knows she's, she's not even asking you to go buy milk. She's probably got a cow in the backyard. She does, actually. See? Or a goat. She's like, what do you prefer? Which milk? <laughs> she's like habibi habibi <laughs> habibi so but i'm just saying it's it's a it's an interesting interesting concept of of epic proportion well that's that's like it kind of goes along the, my whole thing about you know regrets or or people who had wished they had done things differently and and my my thinking is if you did, if you altered the, the, your, your course in life in some way, it wouldn't have brought you to this moment, you know? So it's like, I guess you have to, you have to ask yourself right now, are you in a good spot? Are you in a good place in your life? And if so, it doesn't matter what you did in the past, at least like, that's what I think, like, because it brought you to this moment, you know, mm-hmm. that's me. Well, I was going to say to you, that's kind of the idea of people who believe they're in the right spot. If you're not in the right spot, then of course you have tons of regret. Um, I always say in, in the work I do, I say to people, there's two kinds of people in the world, the people who love change and the people who, no, the people who are afraid of change and the people who are afraid not to change. And I'm the person who's afraid not to change because I feel like with the evolution, you get more and more things. And I am so terrified of those stories you hear about people who are on their deathbed and they're like, I should have done this. (laughs) Exactly. No, I never want to, I don't want to live a life where I I've regretted not doing things, you know, mm-hmm. 
Well, that's like when you're young. <clears throat> I know a lot of young people I've met over the years who, when they were in their teens and 20s, they were like, I don't like this kind of food. I don't like this kind of food. And then I meet them in their 30s and 40s and they can't stop eating. But then at that age, it's like everything they do, they gain weight from. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know what? You should have eaten more when you were little. Right? You're stupid. Mm-hmm. Eat the capers. Delicious. Delicious. Capers are delicious. They are. Give me a handful of capers, some salty cheese, and some anchovies on a piece of bread. Mmm, cholesterols. <laughs> <laughs> it's so delicious. I, I just, I love the brininess I know of it. I do. I know you good. So we should go to a commercial. Should we? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back. You're listening to Later This Week with Coco and Fran, the only podcast that sanitizes your hands while you listen. I'm back. I'm back. Hey, Coco, where'd you go? I'm here. Oh. Oh, it's just, uh, hold on. There we go. That's better. She's trying to bootleg this recording. No, I didn't mean to record that part. Um, yeah, so we're here in October. Um, November is almost here. Um, do you have any scary things to share tonight? Um, not really. No, I, I have um, uh, a wedding that I'm photographing on Halloween. No. Yeah. It's a very small, like, I think it's an eight-person wedding at a cottage. But I'm excited because, you know... Lesbians? Does it matter? Well, they're getting married in a cottage. All I kept seeing was a flannel throw. You're so bad. You really, really are bad. Listen, tell me something I don't know. You know everybody's listening to this show and they're just like, as soon as you're like, I had a small wedding. It's in a cottage. People are listening going, mm-hmm, lesbian. No, no one is saying that. Right. Lesbian. No. Lesbian. <laughs> Why do we have suddenly subtitles on our um, video? I don't. I don't. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I don't. That, you oh set that God. up because it's on your side. You set it up. I did no such thing. Habibi. Habibi. And we'll turn that off. So go back to the lesbian wedding. It's not. Okay. I don't know why you assume that, but whatever. <laughs> then what, what? Who's getting married? Yep. Two, two women. There yes. you go. <laughs> bum. I just want sound effects in the background. Like I won, like on the price is right. Do with a cottage because I would get married in a cottage. Lesbian. No. So here's the thing: you'd get married in a cottage with another woman. That's what yeah. you would do. But here's, no. wait a minute, wait a minute. Once you unknot your panties because you're getting so emotional, 
The fact is, I did not know it was two women. And I guessed that. What yes. makes you think that what you told me wasn't stereotypical enough for me to guess? Because my mind would never go there. Well, mine does. Because you said two people in a cottage. And immediately I thought of flannel. And I thought live performances by Melissa Etheridge. There's going to be no flannel. And there's going to be no Melissa Etheridge. Well, then I'm not coming. You weren't invited. Well, of course. It's a small wedding for lesbians. If they see a man, they'll shoot him. But Americans aren't allowed in our country anyway. Who said I'm American? I'm from Torrid. So, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. I am photographing a little wedding. Yeah. On Halloween. Come to my window. Stop it. Come inside. Listen. I did a photo shoot recently. Part of my alternative photography. <laughs> alternative lifestyle. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I, uh, I photographed in this um, barn, which I lovingly call the murder barn. <laughs> not, <laughs> not going there, folks. <laughs> After doing all our stories about Greystone and all those, those hospitals, oh no. There have been some memorable and um, disturbing things in that barn. But you somehow have to explain, and I don't know if we can go into this in this episode, but you have to explain to me how you can take photographs of such, like, creepy and disturbing things, and then you look at the photo and you're like, oh, this is beautiful. I can hang this in my living room. <laughs> because they are beautiful. No, I know, but but not necessarily. Not from the mass perception. Like, for me... I have seen disturbing photographs of similar concepts that you photograph. There's just something you do that makes it different. I don't know why, but I see some of your photographs and I go, oh, that's not disturbing at all. But if you told me about it, I'd be like, oh, I'm creeped out. I think, I think for me, it's the, um, it's the way I photograph it. Um, I don't give the viewer a full, a full um, view of the scene. So a lot of it can be left to the imagination type thing. Mm. Where it, there, there are some images that are in your face that can be graphic, so on and so forth. But for the most part, I, I tend to approach that kind of work in a in a in a different way where i'm i'm not giving the viewer everything mm. and i and like i kind of take the voyeuristic or hidden camera kind of approach too it just gives a different feel to the whole to the whole scene as well. So that's what make maybe makes my work stand out a little bit more. I don't know. So what's your Instagram so people can go to it? 
Which one? <laughs> okay, Laura. No, I mean, I've mentioned this before. I have, um, I take, you know, photographs of the kinky and BDSM variety. Um, the only reason why I don't um, talk too, too much about it, because there are people who who can't separate the art from the artist. Mm. You know, see some of the work that I have online and the stuff that I have on Instagram is not the most graphic stuff that I've taken either. I mean, there are some, there are some uh, images that are pretty dark, but um, there are people who are going to view those images and decide that it's, it's too much and they would never hire me to, to photograph, let's say, their family portrait or a wedding or something like that. But meanwhile, I can do those things. And I have examples of those things. You just choose not to see the difference. Mm-hmm. See, see the, um, the artistry in either or type thing, you know? So it's, I'm not, it's not that I'm embarrassed or ashamed of, of my other work. Not at all. It's just... People sadly have a perception of that kind of work or that kind of lifestyle, that imagery, and you know, it's it's not something that I share with everyone. Mm. But but it is what it is. <clears throat> so you still didn't tell us what your Instagram is. <laughs> what should I share? What is the what is the one that you just recently revamped? Why don't you share that one? Okay, so I, I have a personal um, Instagram, which is the one that's always been tagged for for later this week, uh, which is my just you know my personal um, Instagram. But then I I decided to separate my regular photography from that, and it's calling these a photography on Instagram. That's great. So, so I just, I just, um, I, I don't really have anything on there except my most recent portrait session, but I'm going to be going back into my, my archives and just start putting all of my creative stuff, my portraits and, you know, wedding work there, just little, little glimpses here and there. Um, but then I obviously have the, the darker side of Coco um, at another <laughs> Instagram account. Mm. Yeah. You, if you want to know what it is, message me on Instagram, either through later this week or my my regular um, account. I will be more than happy to share what my other NSFW account is. Mm. And if you send me a message on Instagram, I will send you to my favorite movies on Pornhub. He will. He sends me clips all the time. Not all the time, at least twice a day, but that's not all the time. It's subjective. You're you you're a victim of the Mandela effect. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you were like, I people can't separate the art from the artist because it's so true. It really is true. Yeah. I can't separate the pen from the penis. <laughs> the pen is minor mightier <laughs> than the sword. <laughs> Depends on the sword. <laughs> oh my god. What a wonderful October it has been. It has been. Um, I'm sad that it's over. I'm not. 
I, uh, I can't <laughs> wait for November. I think that we've got, <clears throat> we're taking some chances. We're taking some chances in November, um, you know, and I want us to hear the feedback, you know, listen, if I promise you, you have my word. If you send us feedback and you don't want us to reveal who you are, certainly we won't. Of course we will. <laughs> I mean, my fingers were crossed. My toes were crossed. My pubes are crossed. So were my breasts. <laughs> you can't cross those things. If you wanted to. <laughs> I mean, that's like a, that's a twisty pretzel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, there is so much happening. I honestly am like, if there's anyone out there who knows of a platform where we can do this show live and people can call in, that needs to be a special episode. Yes. Oh, that would be great. If we can do it live and just broadcast with no editing. I mean, I think you'd be in a panic, though. Well, could we would be able to do, like, it through Instagram Live, couldn't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But we would have, we'll... we would, like, three people watching. I don't think so. People, like, I feel like a lot of people don't like Instagram Live. Like, even when celebrities put up their Instagram Live, there's, like... Yeah, there's a gr- there's people watching, but depending upon how big the person is, but even still, I'm I'll watch. I turned into one like the beginning of the pandemic, and there was two like artists speaking to each other who were pretty big, and they were having this conversation. And I looked at the bottom, and there was like three hundred people, and I was like, I would imagine there'd be more than that. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, you're not going to be able to get everyone at that particular time, especially if you're going live. Like, just because you have hundreds of thousands of uh, hundreds of thousands of followers doesn't mean that that many people are going to be on Instagram at that given moment. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like you get who you get, and that's it. And if, and if we were to go live one day, and all we had were five people watching us, mm-hmm. those people are awesome. Yep. Well. All I know is I feel like having Doritos. Really? Mm-hmm. I bought these um these chickpea chips. They're they're off the eaten path. Mm. And I saw that movie. Very delicious. Um, they're olive oil and rosemary. Mm. It's legit. Good for you. I mean, and you yeah. and you like chickpeas. That brings you back to childhood. Yes, it does. Slathering on that hummus. Let me tell you, there's nothing you guys won't do with a chickpea. Right? <laughs> You'll be like, we made keychains from this shit. <laughs> Necklaces. Right. Everything. Right. Dry them suckers out. I got some Benoit beads. Oh, man. Because <laughs> sometimes you got to tighten it up. Oh, yes. So, yeah. Um, but do you eat Doritos? Not often, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your f- go-to flavor? The bag that's open? <laughs> 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 like, hello? I mean, first of all, if anybody knows me, I love spicy. 
and there's like those super hot Doritos. I love those. Man, shit. I don't like the super spicy. Of course not. Because you're weird. But and you, but you know what? Also, over the years, um, the like I'm a nacho or cool ranch person. Oh, yeah. Like I, but you know, their Sonic, there's the Sonic one, which is like their Sonic's, I guess it's Sonic sour cream. That's really, really good. And also, I don't think they have it in the States, but they had a ketchup version. They have a ketchup version that's really yummy. But I just remember, like, back in the 80s and 90s, especially when, remember when Jay Leno used to be the Doritos spokesperson? The Doritos back then, the flavors were awesome. I think now they're just, there's too much seasoning and it's way too salty now, I find. Mm Mm-hmm. What I've noticed, if you go to Costco and you buy like the the humongous kind of big party bag that they have, their nacho is a little milder. Mm. It's a good taste, but it's not as salty. It's, I don't know if it's just, you know, packaged in a different way or processed in a different way. So much better. Yeah. Well, I feel like we should at this point promote our next podcast as a spinoff called Fat People in Doritos. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fat, we'll call it Fat Ritos. Fat Ritos. <laughs> I mean, really, uh, years ago, there was someone who used to work with Jen who said to us, if you ever want to treat yourself, have nacho cheese Doritos with sour cream as a dip fatness fatness that's delicious yep. and I love how you're like you are like the expert of the flavors you've got to buy it at Costco <laughs> I'm serious it's you're like different. the simavier you're like the simavier of Doritos mm, I mm, am this Doritos more from two months ago versus the one that was mm, this is cool ranch mm, it's not enough ranch too much cool <laughs> I mean, really, we are fatness. How are we not nine thousand pound life? <laughs> you know, I've asked myself this question on many occasions, um, because we do eat like we eat an obscene amount of food, and why aren't we bigger? Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna. I don't want to push that envelope, but. I think also because we're active and we also have a balance. Like, yeah, we pig out, but for the most part, what we're pigging out on, at least during the week, is not stuff that's bad for you. You know, it's funny. I talk to people sometimes, they don't like 90% of the vegetables I mention, or they don't drink water because they don't like the taste of water. I'm just like, what the hell is wrong with these people? I don't know. They're from Torrid. (laughs) Uh, All right, folks. I think we are kind of at our stopping point. It has been a great October. I hope you all have a great Halloween tomorrow. Please be safe. Keep on your mask. Make sure you don't touch anybody who looks dirty or sick. Yeah, exactly. Avoid those. I mean, it's difficult if they're, you know, looking like zombies on the street, but Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I won't reveal my costume, but I think I'm going to post it this tomorrow. I don't have a costume because I'm working. It's all right. Just wear your uniform. 
I, I could wear this shirt. Why not? I will. So, as we say goodbye and finish this episode, we will be going into a couple more of our stories because at this point, none of our episodes going forward are going to be 60 minutes. It's all going to be extra large mm-hmm. going forward. So enjoy the rest of your evening. Enjoy our stories. Uh, see you in November. We love you all. Bye. Thank you so much. And as we opened with hello, now we're going to sing goodbye. Is it me you're looking for? Goodbye. The door. The door stood alone against the backdrop of the tundra. It was white, almost lost in the endless field of snow. The only thing that stood out was the black doorknob. Jamie blinked hard. He turned off his snowmobile, threw his shotgun over his shoulder, and approached cautiously. Up close it looked like any regular door, except that it was standing alone in the middle of the Arctic. He gently touched the sides, sliding his hand underneath to feel the space between the door and the ground. It wasn't attached. He shivered and took a step back. What in God's name, he said. Jamie had left his house that morning at roughly 6 a.m. It was springtime. The sun had just begun to peek over the horizon, giving him a precious few hours of light. He was hunting polar bear although he would bag a wolf if he saw one. But after nearly two hours, Jamie had managed to kill only one Arctic hare. Not much, he thought, but better than going back empty-handed. The day had already begun to fade. He had skinned the animal with his knife and put the red flesh in the plastic bag. After securing his catch to the back of his snowmobile, he'd driven off toward the village and then he'd seen it. As Jamie stared at the door, he noticed the world around him had grown eerily quiet. Usually the wind was stinging his face, but it had stopped blowing. Everything around him was silent, unmoving. Without knowing how it happened, Jamie found his hand on the doorknob. A bad taste formed in his mouth, and his stomach was in knots. He fought hard, against the urge to open the door. He had a feeling deep in his gut that this was something unnatural, something evil. He used all his willpower to remove his hand and ran back to his snowmobile. He took off for home without looking back. He arrived home breathless and shaken, just as the darkness took over and hurried into the house with his catch. His grandmother, Ethel, was sitting in the table sewing beads onto a moose-hide jacket. Jamie stood in the kitchen, snow falling off of him in heaps that melted into puddles on the floor. Take off your snowsuit in the entrance, Ethel said. Jamie went into the kitchen, threw the hair into the sink, and went back to hang up his clothes to dry. When he came back, his grandmother was filling a pot with water. She could tell from the look on her grandson's face that he was upset. I found something, Jamie said. 
Ethel waited for him to continue speaking, but he just stared at her, his eyes wide. What? she said finally. I couldn't bring it back with me. It's not something I have ever seen before. I mean, I've seen one before, but not like this. You're talking crazy. What did you see? Ethel asked. There was... There was a door. It was just there all of a sudden. It looked like it was floating. Ethel looked at Jamie. What he said sounded insane. He expected her to laugh or cry because her grandson had lost his mind. He noticed her body stiffen. She stood for a moment, unmoving, as though she were transfixed. Did you touch it? she asked. Jamie nodded, just lightly. Did you open it? No, but but I wanted to. Jamie stared intensely at his grandmother. Her face was contorted in fear. He had never seen her look like this before. She spoke slowly in a hushed voice. Jamie, you must not open that door. Do you understand? If you see it again, you do not open it. Where did it come from? Why did I see it? I don't know. What happens if I open it? Listen to me, Jamie. You leave it alone if you ever see it again. That's all we're going to say about it. Ethel shook her head and turned away. She took out a bag of flour and began busying herself. Do you want some bannock with dinner? Gran, I... Jamie, stop! Jamie sat down at the kitchen table, swallowing his questions, along with his fear. Yes, you should make some bannock. Maybe take out the jam, too, he said. Ethel smiled and began to hum. We need to go to church this Sunday. We haven't been in a while. I saw Father Gagnon at Northern Mart. He told me we have been missed. Jamie nodded his head in agreement. His grandmother had been a practicing Catholic since missionaries had arrived in the village when she was a child. I guess we should go this weekend, he said. You're one of the most respected elders in the community. You have to set an example. Jamie couldn't help but think her sudden urge to go to church had something to do with the mysterious door. The sickly feeling swirled in his stomach and crawled up into his throat. He swallowed some water and tried to stifle it, forcing it back down. He ate his dinner in silence and went to bed early. Jamie did his best to forget about the door, allowed it to fall into the deep recesses of his mind where he had shoved other bad memories like the time he was beaten almost unconscious by Jackson Bishop, the local bully, or the image of his mother lying in a casket, her face calm as though she were sleeping. Jamie did his best to keep all of his darkest memories buried. Ever since his encounter with the door, he hadn't been able to keep them out of his mind. They kept bubbling up to the surface, jolting him awake, heart pounding. The weather changed, and with warmer temperatures came the midnight sun, and the best season for hunting. Nearly half the village would spend time harvesting muskox, bison, and caribou. Early one morning, Jamie's neighbor, Daryl, arrived at the door carrying a shotgun. Daryl was a little older than Jamie, in his mid-thirties, but looked closer to fifty. His skin was weathered and cracked, and he had deep bags under his eyes. Jamie, we're heading west to hunt for caribou tomorrow. Why don't you join us? We got a small group together, going for maybe two or three days. 
We could use you. Normally, Jamie would jump at the offer, but the swirling nausea in his stomach gave him pause. He looked at his grandmother for approval. She was standing behind him with her arms crossed over her chest. You're not going to get better weather than this, she said, motioning to the sky. We need to eat. Daryl smiled and gave Jamie a friendly slap on the shoulder. Get your survival gear together. I'll swing by tomorrow, early. Jamie went to sleep feeling anxious. He tossed and turned, dreaming about the door. In his dream, he was standing in front of it, trying to stop himself from opening it. It was like his hand had a mind of its own. He couldn't stop himself from turning the knob. The door opened to blackness, a deep, dark abyss that Jamie felt himself being sucked into. It felt sinister. He was propelled awake, sweating and out of breath. The next morning, Jamie drove his ATV behind the others, carefully scanning the grounds for tracks. He hoped for a caribou or a musk ox. Either would have enough meat to last a while. After a morning of travel, the group was hours from the village. Jamie's eyes scanned the flat landscape, continuously looking for anything that appeared unusual. It was nearly 2 a.m. when they finally stopped to set up camp. Normally, Jamie had no difficulty sleeping in the sunlight, but this time, for some reason, he felt uneasiness. He couldn't shake it. While the others slept soundly in tents, Jamie walked away from camp, looking for a spot to relieve himself. He noticed something in the distance. At first, he thought it was a burned-down cabin, but as he got closer, his blood ran cold. It was a door. The door. It looked the same as it had in the winter, standing alone, unfixed to the landscape. He considered waking the other men, but something compelled him toward it. He didn't want to do it, but it was as though he was not in control of his own body. He found himself approaching, despite the feeling that something was very wrong. There was something sinister about the door. The urge to open it was stronger this time. He put his hand on the knob. He remembered his grandmother's warning. He pictured her face as he tried to keep his hand off the knob. It was as though an invisible force had taken over Jamie. A deep breath, and he opened the door. He couldn't help it. He closed his eyes, half expecting something awful to jump out and eat him. Slowly opening his eyes, he stared through the empty doorframe to see the same landscape on the other side. Nothing horrible, no monsters, no demons. He walked back to camp and looking over his shoulder saw that the door had quietly vanished. Jamie felt unsettled. He told himself he should feel relieved, but something nagged at him. Deep down he knew that couldn't be it. He felt as though the door wasn't finished with him. The anticipation of what lay ahead was nerve-wracking. He did his best to shove his concern aside and act like everything was fine. Three days later, the group arrived back in the village on schedule. The hunting party had killed two large bison, enough meat to last a few weeks. Jamie found his grandmother in the kitchen when he arrived home. She was sitting with her Bible in front of her. Reading glasses hung from a string around her neck. She visibly shivered when he walked in. We were successful, he said, smiling as he placed cuts of meat inside the freezer. Ethel sat, stone-faced. Aren't you happy? You can make stew tonight, he said. 
go into the backyard, she said. He opened the back door. A raven was lying right at his feet, almost as though it were waiting for him, horribly injured. Its neck was broken, and blood pooled around its body. Jamie bent down to get a closer look. He then noticed the yard was littered with at least a dozen dead birds, all bloody and broken. Jamie recoiled in horror. He stepped quickly back inside the house. You opened the door, Ethel said, her tone filled with disappointment and fear. Her words pained her grandson. Jamie, wide-eyed, was speechless. He lowered his head. He searched for something to say. I'm... I'm sorry, he muttered. I'm afraid it's too late for sorry. A blood-curdling howl came from outside. It was almost animalistic. It was so deep and unnatural. Daryl was outside, blood flowing from his eyes. His piercing screams brought out half the village. Most people just stood around watching, shocked at the sight. A few ran to Daryl's side in an attempt to help. He writhed and flailed so violently that no one was able to hold him. Blood spurted from his face, spraying those closest to him. Jamie stood watching from the window. He wanted to help his friend, but found himself frozen in fear. There is nothing we can do, Ethel said. She put down the Bible and motioned for Jamie to join her at the table. When I was a girl, my mother told me about something that had happened when she was a child. Her uncle claimed a door had appeared before him. He had been using sled dogs to cross from hunting ground back to his camp. There was a blizzard. His dogs became agitated. He saw a door standing on its own. He felt the evil that lay behind it, but he couldn't help himself. He had to open it. Nobody believed him, of course. They laughed at him, said that he must be sick in the head to come up with such a crazy story. Ethel paused. She began to cry but stifled her tears with a tissue. Then people began to die. First, they suffered in an unspeakable manner. Jamie thought of Daryl lying right outside on the gravel road, writhing and contorting in pain. The sickness spread, and everyone in camp was dead in a few days, Ethel said. Aside from my mother and her older brother, who fled early on, for some strange reason, their lives were spared. The pair sat in silence for a moment. Screams could be heard outside. We can leave, he said to his grandmother. And go where? We can take the ATV to Coral Inlet. The weather is good, endless daylight. We can make it. Ethel didn't respond. We can make it, Grandma. Grandma! Ethel sat quietly, picking up her Bible and continuing to read. She was so calm that it made Jamie feel panicky. He got up abruptly from the table and began to pack. He shoved some clothes, food, and other necessities in a duffel bag. He went back into the kitchen to tell Ethel it was time to leave, but just as he reached the doorway, he felt something wet on his face. Jamie touched his eyes, which had begun to sting. He looked at his hand to see blood. Ethel looked up at him as tears of blood fell onto the pages of her Bible. God help us, she said.